0: Hi, I'm Gianna Volpe, and thank you for listening to The Heart of the East End on WLIW-FM, the show where we get to the heart of any matter at hand with folks from all walks of life on Long Island's only local NPR radio station. We stream online at WLIW.org radio and welcome your comments, questions, and collaborations of all kinds on The Heart of the East End. Live from the WLIWFM studio in Southampton, New York, I'm Gianna Volpe with local news on Long Island's only NPR radio station. Suffolk County is accepting grant applications from drug treatment providers, community groups, and county agencies for programs designed to combat the opioid epidemic that has claimed thousands of lives on Long Island since the late 1990s. County Executive Steve Ballone and other officials announced Yesterday, Michael O'Keefe reports on Newsday.com that up to $25 million will be available this year, part of the $180 million Suffolk is expected to receive over the next 18 years from the settlement of the landmark lawsuit it filed in 2016 against opioid manufacturers and distributors. Suffolk also released a report issued by the Opioid Settlement Task Force, boulogne convened last year that details the devastation caused by the opioid epidemic, recommended that the money be used for prevention and harm reduction, treatment, and recovery. Officials will monitor the effectiveness of the programs they fund to determine how future money will be spent. The task force consulted with dozens of health agencies, treatment providers, and community groups, including Northwell Health Systems, Stony Brook University Hospital, New York State offices of addiction services and supports and the beating hearts grieving parents, mostly mothers, who have lost loved ones to fatal overdoses and now assist those struggling with addiction. Uh, tip the hat to Linda Newson out there. Long Island public health officials and addiction experts said that fatal overdoses, which had declined in the years before COVID, has spiked primarily due to the social isolation grief and anxiety caused by the pandemic. Quote, the commitment to fund prevention, treatment, harm reduction and recovery programs will go a long way toward saving lives. That's Jeffrey Reynolds, CEO and president of the Family and Children's Association, which provides treatment and counseling. Because every dollar matters, treatment professionals, people in recovery and families impacted by opioids will be watching this process very closely offering suggestions and tracking outcomes to ensure the most effective use of funds. In transportation news, it could take another 13 years for the Long Island Railroad to get back all the riders it lost during the pandemic, according to MTA. Officials who said the slow rebound will cost the transit agency billions of dollars that will have to be made up. Alfonso A. Castillo reports on Newsday.com that the Metropolitan Transportation Authority, the LIRR's parent organization, released its revised ridership forecast yesterday as part of the latest update to its financial plan. The MTA hired global consulting firm McKinsey & Company in 2020 to prepare a study analyzing the pandemic's impact on ridership. That uh, study predicted that about 80 percent of the MTA's pre-pandemic riders would be back by now as vaccines would be widely available. But several unexpected factors, including COVID-19's Omicron variant, riders' concerns about crime and changes in work schedules have resulted in only about 60 percent of riders returning so far. The revised projections put together by McKinsey now predict it could take until 2026 for the MTA to recover 80% of its ridership pre pandemic, as it were. Uh, they won't be, they aren't expected to be back to 100% until around 2035. Projections are averaged across all the MTAs, various transit agencies, and officials said they expect it'll take longer for the LIRR ridership to recover than bu- buses and subways. The LIRR carried 91 million people. In 2019, the most in 70 years, MTA officials estimate the ridership trends will cost the agency about a billion dollars a year in revenue through 2026 and will speed up reaching a fiscal cliff when the agency exhausts around 15 billion dollars in federal COVID relief aid, uh, predicting that having an annual deficit of 2.5 billion dollars by 2025 A year earlier than originally projected on the waters of the 13 documented shark attacks on humans in New York over the past century. So 13 shark attacks in 100 years. Five of those 13 have occurred this summer off Long Island, South Shore. State marine officials said yesterday. Bart Jones reports on Newsy.com that they insisted swimmers are not generally in danger of falling victim to a fatal shark attack, but always run the risk of being bitten, though attacks are rare. Quote, we may see an increase in that going forward, but the sharks that are in the surf are not these large, scary things that you see on Shark Week, sometimes that are really going to maybe cause a mortality. That's Jim Gilmore, uh, the DEC uh, Director of Marine Resources. Quote, and we've never had a mortality in New York in our history. End quote knocking on wood for all of us right now as sharks increasingly lurk closer to Long Island's oceanfront in unprecedented numbers. State officials said in a Monday Zoom call with news reporters they also are likely swimming in the Great South Bay and other bodies of water connected to the Atlantic Ocean through inlets. Don't be alarmed. Experts said sharks have pounded their way into inland waters for centuries and are mostly Juveniles that pose little threat to humans. Quote, there is scientific evidence that the sharks in New York are using our estuaries. That's Chris Scott, a marine biologist with the DEC and described by the agency as the top shark expert in the state. Quote, typically it's the juvenile stages of the sharks. They come in for protection, there's plenty of food in the bays, and they'll sit there and stay there throughout the summer and migrate out in the fall. He added, they've been there for hundreds of years and there's been zero incidents in the bays, knocking on wood again. The officials also said that despite a great white shark washing up dead on the beach in Quag uh, last week, generally the so-called man-eaters actually pose little danger to humans. The movie Jaws, they said, was just that. A movie. And finally, in light of the U.S. Supreme Court's recent ruling that overturned Roe v. Wade, Ending the guarantee to legal abortion in all 50 states, and a sense that other rights could be next to fall, the House of Representatives took up votes recently on a bill codifying the right to same sex marriage and another codifying access to contraception. Both bills passed in the Democratically controlled House, with Democrats unanimously in favor. Brennan J. O'Reilly reports on 27east.com that Lee Zeldin, the U.S. Representative for Eastern Long Island, And the Republican candidate for New York state governor was among 47 Republicans who joined the majority in approving the Respect for Marriage Act while he voted against the Right to Contraception Act, which garnered just eight votes from Republicans. Critics of the Right to Contraception Act, which passed last Thursday, object to the bill protecting access to forms of contraception that can induce abortion and say that it would uh, protect funding for abortion providers like Planned Parenthood. Both bills have been sent to the Senate, where their potential passage will be more of an uphill battle than they were in the House. Looking at the news in, uh, not the news, the weather. Looking at the weather in West Hampton Beach, in honor of our first guest this morning, Stephen Colucci, joining us. For the heart of the studio segment, underwritten by Peconic Landing, looking like a partly sunny Tuesday with a high near 82, Uh, a little more uh, reasonable than the last week. North wind, 6 to 8 miles per hour, becoming southwest in the afternoon. Tonight, a 20% chance of showers after 2 a.m., partly cloudy with a low around 69 degrees. Southwest wind, 5 to 7 miles per hour, becoming light and variable. After midnight right now, it's 75 degrees. We're going to get the music from all decades and genres started with the harp tones. In just a second here, um, I just wanted to wish uh, from the bottom of the heart of the East End um, very deepest condolences to Michael Sorvino and the Sorvino family in honor uh, of the loss of Paul. Paul Sorvino playing a little clip from Goodfellas. Before we get into it, I'm Gianna Volpe, this is Polly, and you, whoever you are out there, you're awesome. And You're listening to WLIWFM, Long Island's only NPR radio station.
1: Now I got to turn my back
2: to tell um.
0: A 60-year jump forward in time with this next one. A shaky Graves cover of A Dream is a Wish Your Heart Makes. A little taste of how rockin' this show is about to get this morning. Don't say I didn't warn you. Gregory and the Hawk, Gregory Allen Isakoff, Benny Sings and Louis Armstrong on deck. Stephen Colucci as well in just a few minutes right here on the Heart of the East End. Long Island's only NPR radio station? W-L-I-WFM. somebody if not many and so that one goes out to you whoever you are missing this morning little gregory and the hawk this is a wish from the boats and birds ep stephen colucci joining us very shortly here on the heart i'm
3: gianna volpe and
0: you Whoever you are out there, you are awesome and you're listening to WLIWFM. Beautiful little song, although zero out of ten do I recommend cigarettes to my friends for so many reasons. Uh, it is the bottom of the nine o'clock hour, just after midnight, if you're listening to the replay on Tuesday or Wednesday, technically, if you're listening to the replay. And that means it's time for the Heart of the Studio segment, underwritten by Peconic Landing, here to talk to us about the fourth annual West Hampton Beach Project, a free two-night festival combining dance and dance. Music and food this weekend is president of the Musical Mime Theater, Stephen Colucci, who worked closely with the famous Marcel Marceau during his roughly half century in the arts, and he conceptualized this event to get the next generation involved in the arts. Welcome to the program, Stephen.
4: How, do you do, How are you?
0: I am so well and so much better now that you're on the line with us. I, I would love to talk or start by talking about putting the West Hampton Beach Project together in the first place? Was I on point regarding your desire to pass on the art of silence, say, or art performance in general onto those upcoming? And if so, what has come from the first three years?
4: Well, the West Hampton Beach Project was developed many years ago at Bard College, Annandale-on-the-Hudson, and it was inspired by the Spoleto Festival. We performed at Spoleto, and I thought Spoleto was a work of art in itself. So, my passion was to create a similar model like Spoleto at Bard College, and then we did it in different colleges around the country. And ultimately, my end last stop would be West Hampton Beach. And in West Hampton Beach, We foster young and -and up-and-coming talent. May it be in music, in dance, in fine arts, or culinary arts. Basically, it's a creative outlet for people to show what they do and their wares. And this season, we're going to have Melba Moore, who, as you know, was probably one of the greatest vocalists of the 70s and 60s. She was a star of hair, uh, the Broadway show. And she actually gave me the opportunity to perform and share the stage with her.
5: Unbelievable. Uh, and
4: now we're, we're bringing in another young lady to open for her, as well as Parsons Dance. Parsons Dance, I think, is fabulous company. I think it's probably one of the most exciting athletic companies I ever experienced in my life. He is a... True artist, David Parsons, a choreographer that stands up there with, yeah, with the best Jerome Robbins, all of them. He will be marked in history as one of the great talents.
0: So where will the Parsons Dance Company be performing? Will they be on the stage at the Performing Arts Center? Are they going to be out on the street? Where where can people uh, see that as well as, as Melba and uh, Eve is her name? Uh, Eva.
4: It's it's actually it's on the Great Lawn on one of the largest mobile stages in the country. And it's free to the public in West Hampton Beach. It's totally free to the public. Amazing. You could come sit down and see the show for free. And so that's
0: sure. the 20, 29th and 30th, so Friday and Saturday night at 8, eight o'clock. And it right. looks like... You've got tons the way of. way
4: we started exactly eight. As soon as it gets dark, between eight and eight thirty, it sort of becomes uh, it's dark enough to begin to get the experience of being ah. in the theater to experience the lighting, and the sound, etc.
0: So it's it's like it's like a fireworks start time. It's it's eight o'clock ish. Exactly. Got it. All right.
4: That's the best way to put it. <laughs> you know what? I just <laughs> learned something. Yeah, I mean, that's a, I got to tell everyone that it's a fireworks thought You know, it's right. it's, exactly. it's, that's
0: it's We learn something new every day, every single one of us. Um, you know, speaking of learning, so but we'll we'll put uh promotion of the event on hold just for a second uh, because I knew you worked uh closely with with Marcel Marceau. I would love to learn about your relationship um with him uh, when you first met and then uh, maybe learn a bit of the most important tools when it comes to the art of silence. So uh, tell us everything.
4: Well, I actually studied first with his master, the greatest mind in the world, uh, Etienne Crew, the father of modern-day mind. He was a very eccentric man. He, uh, he was the lead in uh, Children of Paradise, the film, the classic film Children of Paradise but he was very, very difficult to deal with. In fact, he, w- he came to Broadway in 1950 and walked off the stage. Wow. He is the creator of Modern A Mind and taught Marceau Marceau everything he knows, New, um, And so then I met Marceau Marceau's wife, who was also an incredible artist. She was a dancer and mind, and she really influenced me more than anybody in the world because she synchronized, uh, like music, her body to dance and mine. And then uh, she introduced me to Marceau Marceau, which led to a friendship, and we did television shows together, etc. And we became very close. And, you know, he kind of, I guess he gave me, the, um, he gave me a lot of knowledge on how to to perform, what performance meant. He was a great performer, an incredible artist that knew how to perform. Um, he didn't really push the technique of mine. He pushed more uh, the performance, sort of like Stella Radler, method acting. He was sort of really a method, method acting person uh, who, who, like if you were ice skating on a stage, you believed you were on ice. Right, you, your your spirit. You were on ice, whereas that the end the crew taught you exactly how to make the ice, exactly how to do it. He he was very. He was a master technician. He was he he had the grammar. When he taught mine, it was like learn math. But there's another side of all of that, and it's the performance side. Which Marcel Marceau was the master of believing,
0: believing, and, and, and sticking to it. You know, because I was I was thinking about it, and and uh, about my about the challenge, the challenge of, of silence, and uh, and I imagined that the most difficult part, because the only the closest I could come to it, is the fact that I worked at a, a costume shop, and one time I decided to show up at a, a like I think it was a holiday party, in a full Mascot costume. And I remember the, uh, my, I I went into this party. I I I think it was a snowman. And I was like, I am not going to talk for this entire, the entire time that I'm at this place. And my gosh, the, the art of silence really was the challenge of, of staying silent, the challenge of, of not talking no matter what the pressure is from the outside. I mean, uh you know, can you can you talk to us a little bit about that and and maybe uh something that he said to you that you'll never forget?
4: I mean, one of the things I, I understand what you're saying about that, the silence. Um well actually when you're on a stage performing doing mime and dancing, you kind of create a rhythm and sound in your own head. So you're really talking, but you're not speaking out loud, but you're creating sounds in your body and your mind that are projecting out to the audience, and the audience is picking that up, and that's how they, they're they interpreting your movement, because they know you're saying something to them, not maybe verbally, Right. but you're saying something with your body. The art of so silence really is not, with- yeah,
0: it's not, it's not silent. <laughs> it's communicating with other means.
4: Right, right. That's exactly, that's basically it. So, you you know, you're projecting work. And then Marceau Marceau did say something very interesting to me once. He said, you can't really create drama and theater unless you experience terrible things in your life. So, as you know, he was a Holocaust survivor. Right. And he fought during the war. He was in the French underground. So he was very much a, um, a dramatic person to begin with because his experiences in life during the war were not the best. And mm-hmm. then even after the war, you know, he had a lot of issues. And so he knew how to create comedy because that was the only way for him to get relief, is yeah. to create comedy. And he once said that to me, unless you experience Tough things you can't you know can't experience you can't really appreciate the good things and the fun things. So he he was a, a master of interpretation, a master of taking his mind from uh, the, you know comedy, tragedy, and comedy. You know he's a master of making that switch. There there's so, so. that was one of, the, that's one of the things I learned from him.
0: They're so intertwined, comedy and tragedy, and and uh, often uh, people who have experienced. Great uh, trauma, know how important comedy is. is a a savior. It's it's a way to it's a survival tool, really. And I think that's so poignant. Uh, talking about drawing upon the personal well, like with writers, you're supposed to write write what you know, and often that's uh, where you'll get the meatiest the be- the best meat. Uh, very excited about this weekend uh, for the entire. Not only. West Hampton Beach community, but uh, the community at large, it's a great opportunity to see uh, the work that's been uh, done the last long while. Uh, West Hampton, downtown West Hampton Beach is absolutely beautiful. Um, Very excited for all of you.
6: Go ahead. It's a
4: new village, and we have 28 restaurants participating. Yes, I see. thirteen. pause it's going to be very very exciting
0: there, i would i would read the names but it's been, it's pretty much uh and ev- anyone who's everyone who's anyone well, you know what i mean everyone's going to be there it's going to be awesome um very excited for for you and very grateful to you Stephen, for joining us this morning before i let you go um i'll let'll say w h b project.com for more information uh, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you want to make sure we include before i play a little uh let's see gregory Allen Isakoff.
4: well maybe say the um uh, the website again and if people want tickets to the vip event, to get get them on the website and feel free to bring your chair a blanket and sit on the lawn and watch the the program if you could just say the website again you got it whcproject.com
0: I'm Gianna Volpe that's Stephen Colucci this is Gregory Allen Isakoff, and you just heard the hot studio segment underwritten by Peconic Landing right here on Long Island's only local listener supported public radio station WLIWFM
7: sir John.
0: From Gregory Allen Isakov to Benny Sings, Black and Blue, here on Long Island's only NPR radio station. WLIWFM. I intended to play Louis Armstrong ahead of Benny, so I'm gonna cut it. Cl- I'm gonna cut it a little short. Going live, 1947, Symphony Hall. A little Satchmo for your ears.
8: I was dead. What did I do To be so black and blue? Mm, even the mouse ran from my house. They laughed at you and scorned you too. What did I do? piece of black blue mm, I'm white inside that don't help my kids cause I can't hide what is in my face for for so 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 To be so black and blue
0: Air Supply, Van Halen and White Snake (laughs) Up in your listening uh, future, but first, Mike Snow This is Black and Blue Here on Long Island's only NPR radio station WLIWFM Music from all decades and genres Interviews with folks from all walks of life All morning and midnight Leading you into the NPR news break with Van Halen and out with White Snake. I told you it's going to be a rockin' morning here on Long Island's only local NPR radio station, morning and midnight show, The Heart of the East End on WLIWFM. With Long Island local news, I'm Gianna Volpe on WLIWFM. The Brookhaven Town Local Development Corp. failed to properly monitor job creation and construction projects. It helped to finance and neglected to collect about $7,000 in annual fees from an applicant, state auditors said in a report released this month. Carl McGowan reports on Newsday.com that the office of New York State Comptroller Thomas P. DiNapoli said the nonprofit Brookhaven LDC, which awards tax exempt bonds to schools, healthcare facilities, and other not for profit corporations, did not properly approve some applications and failed to establish specific job creation targets for about half a dozen projects making it impossible for officials to determine whether employment goals were met. Among the projects were construction of new or expanded facilities at Mather Hospital in Port Jefferson, Long Island Community Hospital in East Patchogue, and the Jefferson's Ferry Retirement Community in South Setauket, the July 15 report said. In a sharply worded uh, response, Brookhaven LDC leaders defended the agency and questioned the audit's conclusions. Quote, each bond financing is thoroughly and exhaustively negotiated, vetted and approved by the LDC's staff, bond council and general council before it is sent to the LDC board for approval. Brookhaven LDC Chairman Frederick C. Braun III and Chief Executive Lisa M.G. Mulligan wrote in a letter, which is included in the 17-page audit report, quote, to state that our projects are not Properly approved is incorrect, they wrote. The audit covered an 18 month period from January 2020 to June 2021 when the LDC approved two projects worth $165 million in bonds and monitored six projects carrying about 105 million dollars in debt, state auditors said. The report said resolutions approved by the LDC board authorizing bond financing for those projects, quote, use the same vague and nonspecific language when defining project goals, such as employment and health benefits for Brookhaven town residents. Consequently, the board could not determine whether the projects were meeting their intended purpose, the report said. Here on the east end, adding yet another layer to attempts to ensure that the massive Amazon hub planned for the Hampton Business District doesn't increase traffic at Gabreski Airport in West Hampton. Suffolk County Legislator Al Krubsky is calling for additional oversight. His bill, co-sponsored by legislator Bridget Fleming, would require a vote of the full legislature before anyone can seek to change operations at the airport. Kitty Merrill reports on 27East.com that there is a public hearing in Hopog this morning on a charter law requiring the airport manager to seek legislative approval before making any requests to the FAA for any operational certification amendments. Online retail giant Amazon recently built a mammoth structure in the Hampton Business District at Gabruski Airport to serve as its last mile hub for deliveries. The hearing on Krupski's bill... Uh, was held uh, about a half hour ago at 9.30 a.m. in the Rose Carapapa Auditorium in Hopog. And finally, New York State DEC officials say don't panic. More sharks off Long Island beaches is a good sign. Despite a great white shark washing up dead on the beach in Quag last week, generally the so-called man-eaters actually pose little danger to humans, according to Chris Scott, a marine biologist with the DEC. Great Scott, described by the agency as the top shark expert in the state. Quote, it's been confirmed through scientific studies that white sharks, juvenile white sharks particularly, use New York waters as nursery habitat Scott said, and these animals feed primarily on small fish. They don't feed on mammals. They certainly don't want anything to do with humans. Five people bitten by sharks off Long Island beaches since late June might disagree, although I don't think those were uh, white sharks. Those injured uh, have received at most several stitches, but more than a bit of a scare. The marine experts. That it's all part of a new reality on Long Island due to cleaner waters and a big jump in the bait fish that sharks and others, including dolphins, seals, whales, and striped bass, love to consume. I did see a note from someone uh, online that was saying uh, it's because they don't have enough to eat, and that is not true. In fact, they have lots to eat, and that is why the bait fish aren't definitely... uh, Uh, Like Atlantic Manhattan, or more commonly, Bunker, sometimes visible in schools by the millions and two miles long out here on the east end. Typically trailing close behind for a meal are sharks or other fish and ocean mammals. Bart Jones reports on Newsday.com that Bunker have emerged in huge numbers because of a multi-state effort to clean up the ocean and other bodies of water. Warmer waters are also attracting the sharks and more fish farther north. So uh, warmer climate change. Jim Jim Gilmore, the state DEC director of marine resources, said it's overall good news for the marine environment and our ecosystem. However, with what we have uh, with that, we have had increased interactions between humans and sharks, particularly in the last year and this year in particular. Scott said this summer is unique. Yes, but long term, we don't know where we sit Moving forward, he called sharks a keystone species that regulate the species' diversity, abundance, and distribution of the marine habitat. Quote, it's a really positive sign that we're seeing these animals in our waters. New York's ocean beaches are part of a wild habitat. Just like, say, if you went into the woods in Alaska, you might see a bear. If you go into the ocean here on Long Island, you might interact with a shark. A little tips for folks um, to avoid Um, swimming at dawn and dusk or nighttime. Uh, Definitely don't uh, bleed into the water and don't, you know, flail around like a broken fish. Uh, Reading the weather in Bridgehampton in honor of Children's Museum of the East End's co-president Liz Bard joining us at the bottom of the hour, looking like a partly sunny Tuesday with a high near 81 degrees. North wind 6 to 8 miles per hour becoming west in the afternoon. Tonight, a 20% chance of showers after 2 a.m., partly cloudy, with a low around 68. Southwest wind, 5 to 7 miles per hour, becoming calm after midnight. And also, in the water, my friends, a high rip current risk is in effect through this Thursday, particularly high this week, including the beaches of Smith Point, Cupsog, Hither Hills, and Ditch Plains. So be careful out there, swimmers and surfers alike. I think we lost someone due to uh, Riptide already this year. I'm Gianna Volpe. This is Whitesnake. We've got Dave Matthews' band, Tony Price, Foo Fighters. And uh, in honor of my niece, Madison, who introduced me to Princess Goes to the Butterfly Museum, the Deeper Down, uh, from their 2021 record, thanks for coming. We'll go on deck after that. It's a rockin' show, uh, so buckle your seatbelts and enjoy music from all decades and genres. Interviews with folks from all walks of life, all morning and midnight long, on Long Island's only NPR radio station, listener-supported WLIWFM. Whitesnake, anyone? Switching over from the black and blue section to the deeper section of the set list this morning, and just a few tracks. First, Dave Matthews' band Black and Blue Bird and Tony Price' Black and Blue Heart here on Long Island's only NPR radio station, WLIWFM, 88.3 on your FM dial throughout Eastern Long Island, 96.9 up Island online. W L I W F M dot
9: Speed of light I could get to canis major in five thousand years. Butterflies and black and blue birds I'll never be the same since I met you girl. Pennies thrown into a fountain. Make a wish, blow out the candles, take a breath. God is troubling when you consider believers that would welcome me i got a job and it pays me. I want love more than I deserve. I read the paper, makes me crazy. Gotta be a way to make it work, oh. Star. I said star does look at you crawling out the mud I know that dying is scary to us, but everybody do it one, two, three. same since I met you If I could fly at the speed of light I could get the beetle juice in about 600 years. Butterflies and black and blue birds.
0: Did you know? Betelgeuse is usually the 10th brightest star in the night sky. <laughs> and after Rigel, the second brightest in the constellation of Orion. And if you didn't know, night
10: just the way love works Every time I give my heart
0: Tony Price leading us into the bottom of the hour here on Tuesday morning. Technically, Wednesday, if you're listening to the replay, means it's time for our next chat segment, underwritten by Southampton Arts Center. And uh, I I decided to ask co-president Liz Bard of the Children's Museum of the East End to hop on a little early. Otherwise, she would have been backed right up with the Foo Fighters, the deepest blues are black. The track gets a little heavy. So I said, "Hey, come on earlier if you can, Liz. She is on the line with us." Good morning, Liz. Hey, Gianna, how are you? Doing? I am so well. How is that beautiful little girl of yours? Oh, she's going. Uh, she's doing very well. Thank you for asking. How's um, Harmony doing? She's wonderful. So, uh, so around. She's a little bit older. So, seven months now.
11: Yes, yeah, she just turned seven. Over the weekend, and she's, like, sitting up. I think she's, like, considering crawling, and it's all moving so quickly. Yeah, I know. It's a lot of fun.
0: <laughs> I know. You know what? It's – it's it's the fun gets, like, a little bit of a an asterisk on it. Harmony ha- is crawling f- at full on, and I got to tell you, uh, it's definitely um, changed the game in a huge way uh, because – it's not the, the what do they call it, like the golden months or something where you put the baby in one place and the baby stays there. Now it's like you always, <laughs> you have to have your eyes on at all times. Uh, but good stuff, um, very exciting times, um, especially considering that Simi has its family fair coming up. Before we talk about that, how was Girls' Night? Or ladies' night. night.
11: Yeah, no, it's all good. Um, We had a great turnout. The weather, although it was very hot, we had a beautiful breeze. And it just was a really fantastic group of fantastic people um, for an amazing cause. So, you know, we thank everyone who was there. And we look forward to seeing everyone again this coming weekend at at the museum with their children.
0: Okay, so family fair. I I know we don't even have to talk about... Uh, Summer Kids Club, because those are sold out. What can folks expect from this weekend's family fair?
11: Sure. So we are excited to bring the family fair back after a two-year break. Um, This year's theme is a rainbow party. And if you've been to the museum lately, you know we're just really feeling the rainbows. There are rainbows everywhere. Um, Families can... You know, enjoy tons of crafts, food, a petting zoo, uh, water slides, DJ, music classes, just really like zero to 99, there is something here for you, um, and it should be tons of fun.
0: Is there a cost
12: associated?
11: There is. This is our largest fundraiser. This program um, supports our outreach efforts and really helps support all of our year-round programming that we do, so there are um, there is a price with each ticket, and that can be found on our website. And then there are different, you know, various levels of. of...
0: Super important to support, considering the fact that you guys mm-hmm. do do so much outreach in the community. Liz, can you talk a little bit about some of the outreach programs that CME does?
11: Sure. Well, um two efforts that the program or the fundraiser will directly support are our food pantry, which serves about five 500- hundred families, or 500 people a month from the museum, and that is every Thursday. Uh, we're supplying fresh produce, fresh dairy to families on the East End, and then our tutoring initiative this summer, which is an intensive reading tutoring program um, working directly with 40 children from local schools.
0: You know, I really love your the pantry that you guys have, especially because of the way you do it. I know that uh, because of the way that you do it, um, a lot of people that uh, might not be able to go to other pantries are able to get fed um, because it, there, there's not you don't need to, to fill anything out and and i'm really grateful uh, to you guys for your pantry effort toward that end if anyone wants to volunteer can they go to seeme.org uh, to get involved and help you guys out or do you need that
11: Yep. If, we, um, if anyone is interested in volunteering, they could email me at liz at C-M-E-E dot O-R-G. And we have various opportunities for volunteering this summer. Um, the food pantry is just one of them, but there are a number of other ways to get involved. Very
0: cool. So it's technically our Tasty Tuesday segment. Can you talk a little bit about um, some of the foods that uh, are provided through the pantry and then some of the food uh, that will be available at the family fair. This, did you say Saturday?
11: Yeah, this Saturday, um, 930 to noon. Um, so, oh, definitely. So the, the food, I mean, working with families, we always joke that we are part-time caterers. <laughs> so we are so happy to have the support and the partnership of Amber waves farm um, for our food pantry. So each, time we're running the pantry, families are getting fresh produce directly from Amber Waves Farm. Love it. This week we uh, we provided zucchini, squash, anything that's been seasoned time. Um there was tons of herbs. Everybody got fresh flowers. Um so we love to hear back from the families what they did with the vegetables each week. This week with the zucchini I did make zucchini bread. Nice. Uh, delicious. And Georgia had some too. <laughs> Good. And at the, fam- yeah, at the family fair, um, we will have, it's early in the morning, so we will have Hampton coffee. You know, you don't have to come with your coffee. You can get it here. Um, smoothies for the kids. We will, we're, we're partnering with Dos Ositos, which is brothers from the North Fork who are making these very beautiful, fresh ice pops. Um, we will also have Eddie's Pizza and various other snacks. Um, we have a partnership with Yumble, and they'll be providing snacks as well, little uh, sandwiches and, and things like that.
0: I am so there. So excited. The 12th Annual Family yeah. Fair this Saturday, 9.30 to noon at CME, the Children's Museum of the East End. C-M-E-E for tickets. I'm Gianna Volpe. That's See me co president Liz Bard. These are Foo Fighters and you, whoever you are out there, you're awesome. And you just heard the Tasty Tuesday segment, underwritten by Southampton Arts Center, here on Long Island's only NPR radio station, WLIWFM. Thank you And now something completely different. Princess Goes to the Butterfly Museum from the Thanks for Coming record. For my niece Madison who just saw them this past May. Princess goes to the Butterfly Museum for the Gen Z and all of us. Going deeper down to for a little Wilco. Randy Travis on deck. Birdie in Ocean Alley after that.
1: He was, about, he was punched out. This capsized. Muscles shouting. Deep down. He felt the insult of a kiss.
0: You're on WML, WFM.
1: Deep still we can go further out than try reins row. i slow. history. floor, part of who we are, we don't explore, I adore, the meaninglessness of the this. Out. This capsized deep felt the comfort of a
0: kiss. Man, am I digging this morning's program? Uh, going from Wilco's Deeper Down to Randy Travis's Deeper Than the Holler. You got Birdie's Deepest Lonely from the Young Heart Record of Twenty Twenty One. On deck after this, I'm Gianna Volpe and you whoever you are out there, you're awesome. And you're listening to W L I W F M.
13: to sing a song about all the things I knew My love is deeper than the holler Stronger People love to sing, and everyone is different, and everyone's the same, and this is just another way of saying the same thing.
0: Less than 15 minutes before the NPR news break and the end of this edition of The Heart. Deep bow to our guests this morning, Stephen Colucci and Liz Bard, as well as our underwriters, Peconic Landing and Southampton Arts Center, and all of you out there listening to WLIWFM.
12: Sleeps, we're wide awake Oh, my deepest longing Slipping away Dancing in the shadows of
0: know if I've met a birdie track I haven't liked thus far that was deepest lonely from Birdie's young heart record. This is Ocean Alley's deepest darkness. A brand new single here on Long Island's only NPR radio station WLI WFM. Ten minutes ahead of the NPR news break. you we were gonna be rocking out this morning <laughs> we'll take it down a notch with this next one Cutting it up in the final minutes of this morning's Heart of the East End, and you know we love us some Cat Stevens, but I'm actually going to play P.P. Arnold's version of First Cut is the Deepest. I'm going to cut a little bit into Reflex's Cut It from 84, just so I can lead you into NPR News Break with Cut Me from Moses Sumney's 2020 record Grey. All right, I'm tucking Moses Sumney in my back pocket. The track's called "Cut Me," and that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna let you cut it up in the last minutes of the heart this morning. Get your dance on, my friends.